0: mm mm-hmm. Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often
1: controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry, and today we're going to do, I still think we need a jingle here, Fixing Fables. So, uh, if you're a longtime listener, you know about this. We uh, pick out various passages that people tend to use wrongly within the more popular culture and and develop them and show. We, We just try to exegete it and you can hear what we're doing and deal with it and and as a result try to help you uh, not misuse god's word Uh, most people are not trying i mean unless you're flat out false teacher you're not trying to do this evil um you you just do i mean we did the one let everyone be slow to speak quick to listen i i'm already messing up slow to speak quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And we always do, talk about that, about anger. It's, it's about anger. It's not. It's about actually submitting under the Word of God. But, you know, when you take a verse out of context, all of a sudden, what's the famous saying? It becomes a pretext. A context out of a, te- a, ver- a text without a context is a pre- te- pretext for a proof text. And that's... Is that a, D. a. Carson thing? Yeah, I think it was his father actually, but... That's a good one. Yeah, I, Maybe someday I'll be a big boy and I can actually quote it without fumbling like a complete idiot. Well, I, m- I remember the first day he said that. He was in a biblical theology class. I'm like,
0: why did you just say
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, I had, a, I had a professor, Dr. Zemek, and he had a vocabulary. I have, I have a good one, and I had to keep a... This is pre-internet days. Um, I had to keep a dictionary next to me as he was talking. I'm just like, do you know any words that don't have three to four syllables? <laughs> I mean,
0: it's, yeah. Yeah, it is
1: pretty disgusting. <laughs> well, he's the guy that had a custom-made Bible. And so, you'd say, well, what about Exodus seven nineteen though? And he'd just pick up his Bible, and it's a Hebrew text. Yeah. Tipped it, and then just, it, he's, <laughs> You're like, oh, shut up! I give up. I, yeah, I, 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 how am I going to argue with you? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. He, he'd say something like, "Yeah, that's not what it says." <laughs> yeah, you want to try that again? <laughs> well, and then my Greek professor, he was famous for saying that. You know, you, you raise your hand in exegesis and you say, "So, would it be right to say this?" And he'd he'd look at you and smile, and he'd say, "You can say that." but I could never say that. <laughs> Everyone laugh at you, but every one of us got that, where yeah. he's like, you can say it, but. Yeah, my that, mine, <laughs> Schnabel, remember Schnabel? Uh, yeah, I, I got, he,
0: good commentator. Is it, for his, uh, you have him for Axe, Yeah. Yeah. The Zonderman, right? I think that's when he did it. Um, yeah, so he'd be in Greek exegesis, and it was the, like the four or five week summer and, intensive. And, and
1: let's face it, Dr. Schnabel.
0: Do you really want to argue <laughs> with a man named Schnabel? <laughs> you know, like, He's the one who did the 5,000 pages on the word baptizo. Yeah. And then uh, his yeah, conclusion like, was, it means to immerse. <laughs> 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 but, but, but that that was a
1: very intimidating class because. I imagine. It, well, you had D.A. Carson for Advanced Greek. I never did Advanced Greek grammar. Yeah. You, you did, didn't you? Yeah, that one yeah. was
0: intense too. Yeah. Mostly because you're sitting amongst a bunch of PhDs. <laughs> like, what am I doing here? <laughs> You've got your little sippy drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That and how um, schnobble. So schnabel. So it was a Greek exegesis. It was a summer intensive. And you, you're translating through the book of Colossians, but you're also learning. You're no longer in baby Greek where you're learning the grammar. Now you're learning how to exegete a mm-hmm. text. And so you're getting into... um all the technical stuff so you'd have to you'd have a certain passage that you'd have to have prepared for every oh we had to do that yeah so you know you're and then present it to the class so you could call on anybody at any time and say matt all right read verses 1 through 13 of course in the greek yeah and then he's critiquing because your accents are wrong (laughs) you know where you put the emphasis and stuff and was that a cute or a grave it's like I don't know it's (laughs) 6am I'm tired (laughs) leave me alone (laughs) (laughs) so so you'd have to do that and then and then he could ask you any exegetical question so how is the um, you know how's the prepositional phrase functioning or modifying this verb or blah 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 uh, so you're just at some point guessing because you're just learning the stuff, you know. <laughs> and you're sweating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this participle's adverbial. Um, and I'm hoping somebody's dumber than me. <laughs> yeah. So you'd have to parse parse mm-hmm. it. Then yep. you'd have to speak to how, how it's functioning. And then therefore, what are the possible meanings of that? Um, and so then you'd get through all that sweating. And then you'd be like, yeah, you want to try that again? <laughs> of course, it has big German accent. You know, <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, does he have a German?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, I don't. I got to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll see you later. I'll be back after lunch. (laughs) I to
1: vomit. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I always laugh when I hear people, yeah, I'd like, I I think I'd like to just go to seminary just to kind of bone up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're you're an idiot. (laughs) 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 Anyhow, we're on fixing fables. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we're going to talk about a passage um, that gets used not as a, not as a, uh, uh, you know, like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that kind of a you know, motivator. It, this is just one that we use to argue for bad theology. Um, so, in 1 Timothy 4.10, it says this, for it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. So, this is a passage I used to use uh, when I had not yet come to understand the doctrines of grace um, to prove that Calvinism was of the devil. So I'm guilty of this, and um, this was one of the passages I brought to John MacArthur in a private meeting <laughs> <laughs> to, to try to call fix call out his, his heresy, yeah. Just fix him a little, you know, just trying to be helpful here. <laughs> First year Bible college student, he, he was very kind to me. Um, <laughs> anyhow, uh, verse 10 is confused a lot. Uh, a people, we want to try to clarify what it is saying and what it is not saying because it's a very popular passage for both the universalist who says everyone is ultimately saved uh, because it says there he's the savior of all men uh, and the Arminian. So you got somebody like good old Leighton Flowers. We haven't done a riff on him in a while. Yeah. And there's good reason he's not worth time, but uh, he, he's very popular yet exceedingly dangerous, actually. And he gives this typical statement and uses our passage as a proof text. So he says, but the Bible plainly teaches that Christ's death and his work of redemption was not only sufficient for the entire world, but that he actually died for the sins of all the world. This belief is known as unlimited atonement. Uh, It does not mean universal salvation, but only that Christ's death paid the penalty for the sin of all the world and for all time for the Savior's death. Yeah, you're shaking your head already. It's like nowhere does it say any of these things. But let me finish the quote. For the Savior's death to be effective for any individual, that person must personally believe or trust in Jesus Christ as his, her personal Savior. There you go. So I guess we can go home. (laughs) So, he, so, he's saying it's effective, it's efficient to
0: cause salvation, but in some way, it's not efficient to cause salvation. Right. Got it.
1: Right. That, that, that's essentially what, yeah, and that's always the issue at that, right? Now, the universalist, now, he's not a universalist, though I think... Well, I shouldn't think. Um, I'll leave that alone. The universalist interpretation, uh, they would say that God is the Savior of all men simply means that all who have ever lived will be saved. This, of course, is contrary to passage after passage in the rest of the Bible, but it gets used that way. Then, when you're talking about the Arminian, the Arminian interpretation would say, well, usually, they'll say it this way, God wants to be our Savior, but only if we believe and then we're saved. The reason is the free will of man, and it keeps him from actually being our savior. And that's actually um, that's a more simple way of saying what Leighton Flowers is saying. Is he in the quote I gave you? He's actually trying to argue against, as you know, uh, unlimited versus unlimited atonement. You know, what did Christ actually do on the cross? And we've done podcasts on that, so we won't get into that here. But and so he's trying to argue that no. Uh, God is the Savior. He actually has done all that's necessary for salvation, but only is it effective or efficient if it if you embrace it through faith. And that's the Arminian idea, It's that the only thing keeping you from heaven is your own exercise, of your free will. And if you don't exercise that free will, then God did everything he needed to get you there. You just didn't finish it by believing, um, yeah. which one day we'll address. Yeah. Um, boy, that's so close to semi-Pelagianism, though, isn't it? I, I, it really is. It borders on And I think that most people who call themselves Arminians are, in fact, semi-Pelagian. I think Leighton Flowers is semi-Pelagian, uh, though he would argue he's not, and he goes on and on his website to argue that. Um,
0: I guess what I guess what keeps Arminians technically orthodox is the semi-Pelagian Pelagian would say, you need to make the first move, and then God comes and meets you. Right. Whereas Arminians would say, no, God technically does the first
1: move. Yes. Now you just need to appropriately respond. Yeah, and, and the Arminian would, say, it, 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 I think it's disingenuous, but I understand it. Uh, the Arminian would say that man is totally unable, man is totally fallen, man is fully sinful. God, in his grace, gave us what they call Pre-being, provenient yeah. grace. Now, that's not found in scripture. That's a presumption, but, or an assumption, but that, and so that's why they would, and, and that, that's why I think uh, R.C. Sproul was good in his Willing to Believe, his book, Willing to Believe. I think it's an excellent book theologically on the nature of free will. I recommend that. Um, but he says this is why we now move into disagreements that are intramural, this is between brothers. And I really appreciate that uh, ironic spirit of his. Of so, look, we we're not dealing with false believers. We're dealing with genuine believers, and and here's why they they do embrace the the fallenness of man. They just see that it was removed or limited by this prevenient grace versus your Pelagian. So um, anyhow, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Okay, so you said um,
0: Arminian interpretation usually says it this way, God wants or desires
1: to be our Savior, but only if we believe that right. then we're saved. And the and universalist is God is the Savior of all men, so no Doesn't matter... matter what you who, do yeah. or who you are, yeah. Um, of course, they don't take that word <laughs> men very literally. <laughs> huh. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Those women. So, so,
0: so here, here would be one of the, the main problems with those positions, or at least what they're saying. Um, the passage here... Uh first Timothy four ten does not say God wants to save, uh, but that he actually
1: saves. He so he is the savior. Yeah. That, that's, it, the, that's the that's the Well that's what it says. It says let me read it real quick. Let me find it first. God who is the savior of all men. So you gotta do something with that. Yeah, yeah, gotta. So you universalism, let's go home. <laughs> and, and, right,
0: right. And, Either, but then he says, "Especially a believer." Yeah, that's where and it gets like, huh? weird. Um, okay, so so he is actually the savior in some sense of all men. Um, so so that this is contrary to what the Armenian idea says, as we've been saying. Exactly. They they actually uh, change the words to fit what they wanted to mean. That's what's happening. Uh, but it also creates issues for the universalists because the rest of the verse would have no meaning whatsoever because of the point you just made. It goes on to say, especially of those who believe. So how do you make sense of that? So is everyone saved or not? Uh, or are some just sort of saved? Or <laughs> are they saved but in different ways, like the Mormon belief in three kingdoms and only really faithful to the celestial kingdom? <laughs>
1: well, but that's, that's, that's what you got to wrestle with. It's yeah. like, okay, so he's the savior of all men, but especially the believers, well, What's that mean, then? Yeah, right, exactly.
0: So let's give some explanation. Uh, Note, first of all, that the death of Jesus, or even his person, is not the focus here in this specific text. Uh, Rather, it's the living God, uh, right? Um,
1: uh, the, The living God most likely speaks, then, of God the Father. When I was looking this, working on this, I don't think there's ever a place where the living God... That phrase did not refer to the father, so um, that that that's a point. It, I don't, I can't think of, and I couldn't find anything that you would be able to say. This is speaking of the the second person. Yeah. Anyhow, Uh
0: mad. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But I'd imagine it has some Old Testament connotations
1: too, in contrast mm-hmm. to dead idols. The dead and idols dead gods. exactly yeah. what it's got to do with. <clears throat> um, wow, you know your Old Testament, huh? It's almost like never mind. Um, <laughs> We're both in a mood, like <laughs> we always are. Uh,
0: th- next, understand that um, we tend to look at a word like "savior" and make it mean "savior from sin" or "salvation from wrath or condemnation." Um, but that is not the only meaning it carries in the Bible. Um, actually, I just brought this out of my my sermon on Sunday. Uh, the word. I mean, it's sozo. It literally means to deliver. That, that's a better, I think I told him, I said, we often talk about how we, quote, get saved. I said, a better way to phrase it is, you have been delivered. Um, uh, and so it's the idea of rescuing or preserving or sustaining all those shades of meaning. The point in this passage is that he is the living God, not merely uh, some dead idol that cannot do anything. Um, and so as the living God, um, he is the one who sustains and preserves all of mankind. And we would just call that, at least in the Reformed tradition, common grace. Right. Uh, he is the giver of all good gifts to all people. He brings his sun and the rain upon all people. Uh, he's the giver of life and breath to all people. Um, but in a more specialized, unique way, he is also the savior of those who believe. Um, and then it's it's here
1: that we come to a more technical meaning now, the savior. Right. So it carries actually the flavor of both the savior from wrath death sin that's for those who believe but he's uh, he's also a savior in a different sense like you just said he he is the preserver and sustainer of of all of us um, and again that's just one of those things that we look at the word and we immediately i i, I see uh, Spurgeon do this all the time uh, actually when he's in the old testament you know he's he'll just he would just take a verse and then preach for an hour on it um, but so often he would take a word that like Savior, and he would talk about how God delivers us from our sin. All of that's true, but it has nothing to do with what that text is actually saying. He wasn't an expositional preacher because it's actually talking about delivering us, delivering them from their enemies mm-hmm. that were literally physically there with spears and swords and stuff. Um, so just keep in mind, folks, is that these words are a little bit broader than sometimes what I call the Sunday school answer. Um, So back to the original point then. Paul and Timothy are actually laboring and striving. That's what he says. We labor and strive in this way. Uh, Very strong words, actually, that speak of agony and exhaustion. And what are they doing? They're laboring to bring about true godliness into the lives of those they care for. Now, why? Well, because they serve the true God, the only God, in fact, the living God. He is their Savior. And they desire others to believe in him as well for their own salvation. Now, they fix their hope then on God alone, and they then point their people to the same God, showing them the way, being the example of what faithful persevering looks like. So, to apply this within the context that Paul wrote, which is what a faithful pastor or elder looks like, because in the broader context, that's why he's actually unfolding this, he's telling Timothy, this is what you need to do. This is what a faithful shepherd is going to do, um, and that's the context that he wrote this, we are able to now say this, when a pastor has only a passing interest in what God, he God, will manifest itself in how he ministers and speaks. They are a means to an end for him. So he doesn't see his ministry as a purpose. They're a means for him to accomplish other things like His brand, his speaking, his um, things like that. Um, And you see it all the time happening in churches today. But when he finds God to be his passion, then he will labor and strive to make much of God before the people. They'll be sort of like with the psalmist who wrote in Psalm uh, 86, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Now, notice in that passage, actually, that the reason the nations shall worship God, the reason that there is none like God is because God is great. He's the only God. So, to know that you've been saved by the living God, the great and only God, is something that you never fully comprehend. And as you see more of God and plumb the limitless depths of God's greatness, things happen in your heart, in your life.
0: So, to sum it all up, we would say no, 1 Timothy 4.10 is not a hand grenade that destroys Calvinism, <laughs> but it is it is a great passage to learn to model the discipline of faithful labor uh, to, of course, grow in godliness because it is in God whom we have fixed our hope.
1: And I think that's possibly the frustration I find so often when I find out I misused a passage or I hear people misuse passages is they're like, yeah, well, okay. And you can almost hear it in their dismissive tone of, okay, fine, but still. And it's like, no, you you there's a purpose it. for the passage. Yeah, yeah. There's a purpose for the passage, and that purpose is better. I want to know why I should labor and strive. If I don't have a vision for the greatness of God, who is sustaining all of mankind and, and also saving the believers, um, then why work so hard? You know, but right. but once I get that vision of God, then that's why we labor. We labor because we serve the living God and and that that's helpful. But if we're gonna instead take that passage and twist it so that we can throw the hand grenade um nobody's helped right yep anyhow well that's uh first timothy 410 uh hope it was helpful um
0: tell a friend